Welcome to Money Moves, a podcast brought to you by the Globe and Mail's content studio and RBC. I'm Melissa Leong. Think back to one year ago. Did you picture your life being what it is today? Life has been interesting lately. Take your pick, your work life, your home life, politics, and oh yeah, this global pandemic. If you ask me, this isn't the life I imagined I'd be living one year ago. I really didn't think that my kindergartner would be going to school through my laptop and that I would be there, coloring, singing, spelling, counting, with him the whole time. All of life's unexpected turns have financial ramifications. Are you ready for that? I think of money as a boat. Now, imagine a flood. You can use your boat to navigate life's rivers, its twists and turns, and how much you've invested in that boat will determine where you can go, how far and how fast, and how comfortably. Want to go for a boat ride? It's already happening. You're in your boat. What's it like? I'll tell you about mine. That's next. This podcast is brought to you by RBC. Be prepared for your future with a free personalized plan. My money, my future, my personalized plan. My advisor, only from RBC. When it comes to saving for the unexpected, our first big issue came in 2014. My husband and I had been pooling our savings since we got married. We were planning on having kids. We thought our savings fund would be for something really great, for the joy of having children. But then, my husband suffered a serious mental health crisis. Turns out, we really needed that savings fund, but for a totally different reason than we had anticipated. A few years went by, and we did have a couple of cutie kids that we loved to pieces. We kept our boat afloat with savings, making sure that we had enough so that I could go comfortably on a maternity leave. Well, two of them. But just a couple of weeks after my second son was born, my husband fell ill again. I'm not gonna lie, it was really difficult. Having a savings fund was one thing I didn't have to worry about. We had money for treatment and to support us so we could focus on his health. By the start of 2020, we had built up the fund yet again. And shall we recap what kind of year it's been for all of us? For my family, our savings became our COVID-19 lifeline. That money saved us again as our businesses suffered during the pandemic. The money also provided us with some extra cash so we could take advantage of the stock market sell-off early in the pandemic. The moral of my story, you need savings. You might not even know why, but life will always take twists and turns. Who knew we would be navigating a global pandemic? Listen, I hope you're doing okay these days, financially and otherwise. If you have a savings fund for the unexpected, the best case scenario is that you never have to use it. But it will always be there for you no matter what happens in life. So I know what you're saying right now. Melissa, I'd love to have a savings fund, but with what extra money? Okay, so listen, here's the deal. If I did it, I know you can too. We're going to figure it out together. And I have a great guest 
to help us get there. That's next. When life changes, have a plan that meets your needs. Experience the power of real-time control at your fingertips with my advisor. My money, my personalized plan, my way. My advisor, only from RBC. Today, our guest is Naranjan Vivekanandan. He is Vice President of Term Investments and Savings at RBC. So, he knows a thing or two about saving. But he's also a human being. He's a dad, a son, and someone who had to learn the lessons of saving himself. Thank you so much, uh, Niranjan, for joining us today to talk about something that I think is very important. Um, one of the most important things in my personal life, actually, when it comes to personal finances. And so, from your point of view, from your journey, when did you get a handle on saving for the unexpected? Absolutely. Thanks for the question and thanks for having me. Um, look, growing up, I really, you know, what's clear to me is this memory of my father calling my mother the finance minister of the house. Um, and this was really because he recognized that she had the discipline to budget for the family and that that budget included savings. Um, so she would hand out our weekly allocation and we all needed to manage within those funds. What was really amazing is that my father would always somehow find ways to underspend and save even more from his allocation. So then I began to do the same and realized really quickly that spending and saving were not mutually exclusive. So the benefits of saving for something bigger or something more satisfying always felt like it was within reach and within my control. How old were you? It's probably, you know, seven, eight. Um, that was when I was getting my, you know, dollar a week allowance and trying to save the 50 cents from that. <laughs> what were you buying? Oh, I'd probably a popsicle or, or you know, <laughs> some sort of, you know, indulgent candy, usually at that age. I think I was buying sour soothers yeah, by 25 ex cents. Exactly. Freezies were, were the order of the day at the time. Was there any explanation from your parents about why you should save? <laughs> well, I mean, look, as, as new immigrants to the country, you know, saving is important because we kind of had experienced the, a lot of the emergencies that happen in life um, and being able to have money set aside for, the, for that rainy day or for those unexpected occurrences was something that my parents were conditioned to build into our routines. And, uh, and as a result, you know, we, we lived it and we, we experienced it as well. So that was sort of the rationale. So I think, you know, nothing like uh, some experiences to shape how you behave and, and the routines you embed in your life going forward. So it was something that you just saw as something growing up versus a conversation that your parents would have with you. Absolutely. It was it was less about a formal talking to about the the merits of saving and it was more around seeing the purpose actually play out in life and then seeing us being able to take those savings and go on the trip that we always talked about or or be able to do the renovation or fix the appliance that broke down, etc. That attribution and the link between savings and being able to do something that was unexpected or something that came out of nowhere was something that we just sort of worked through over the years and started to embed into my way of thinking. So how much should a person have when it comes to savings for the unexpected specifically? Is there a magic number? Is there a formula? I guess we're talking about an adult and not a 
a seven-year-old saving 50 cents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And, and, you know, the percentage is important. I mean, the reality is there is no set one-size-fits-all answer to this. There's no magic formula. That being said, how much do you save will be really different for every Canadian. So we each have different expenses that allow us to live our day-to-day lives. And we each have different amounts that we can set aside for our future needs and wants. Some would say you should save around 15% of your income for long-term needs and 5% for short-term emergencies, but there are numerous variations to this. The key is to actually save, and over time, you'll adjust to what's achievable and often find that people realize they can save a ton more than they originally thought. So making sure that we actually do set aside money as savings, while it can be challenging, there's a lot of technologies that can help you with this, and it's that getting started piece that is the toughest uh, step. An easy way to save is when the, when money you can afford to save is automatically put into savings for you, where you don't have to think about saving, and it just happens. And that's where an automated saving solution that we created at RBC can really make a difference. We call it Know Me, Find, and Save. Know Me as in Know My Finances and Know Me. And it takes all the work out of saving. Know Me, Find, and Save uses predictive technology to anticipate your overall monthly spending, and then finds extra money you can spare and automatically siphons it aside for you as savings. So before you know it, you'll see your savings build up uh, to use for all the things that matter to you. To give you a little bit of uh, sense for this, how, how powerful a way this is to build up your savings, to date, our clients using this feature have saved an average of $310 a month. So the question is, like, what would you do with an extra $3,700 at the end of the year? Um, so that's where, you know, you could see the potential and you could see the, 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 the opportunity. And whenever you need advice, for example, to manage debt with building savings, a financial advisor can work with you so that you are able to have the things you need today and also save for your future. So it's not a binary choice. I completely agree that making it automatic is just so much easier. I am sleep deprived. I've got two young kids. I don't have to worry about exactly how much can I save at the end of the month? What do I have left over? Just automating it and having a service that is kind of like an assistant to me. I <laughs> I would love to have more assistants and butlers Absolutely. <laughs> in my life if that was realistic to have. Um, what is the most important first step to saving? Yeah, it's a great question. And it may sound like a cliche, but the most important first step is to simply start Savings is a habit, and once you get into the routine of it, as I mentioned earlier, it becomes second nature. In today's environment, as we all know, the pandemic is continuing to progress, and there are a number of things that we've now learned to do that are part of our everyday behavior, such as social distancing, you know, wearing masks to protect others, washing our hands regularly. Savings is no different. What you are saving for and the amount you're saving for will differ What we all have in common is that we all need to take the same first step to get where we want to be in our lives. So the first step, while it can be the hardest, it's also the most rewarding because I believe once you get past it, there's a huge acceleration in your progress. And that's where banks such as RBC can help you and support you. Once you start, you'll quickly find how easy it is to keep up your new savings habit in our experience and how good you can feel as you watch your money grow and know that you're building up savings for shorter and longer term needs. How do you know if what you have in the bank is enough when it comes to having an emergency fund or a fund for the unexpected? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's it's not a perfect science. You're not going to exactly know because you can't predict the unexpected, whether it's an auto repair, an appliance breakdown, a basement flood or a job loss. The amount you're going to need is going to be very different. What's a minimal amount? Um, I would say, you know, at the end of the day, if you have, if you've built over time about $5,000, it's a reasonable amount. Now, the question is, how fast do you get there? You're not going to get there overnight. Um, however, if you are taking, for example, some of the lump sum funds that you can receive, such as through your tax refund or through bonuses, those are quick ways to build that emergency fund. Um, so you may not get there overnight, but if you can work towards it and then use some of these unique cash inflows to top up or to accelerate your savings, that's a great strategy. So it's a little bit of short-term pain, but it certainly helps you with a solid foundation over the longer term. Now, Ranjan, I've heard over the years people say you need three months, and then I've heard six months worth of living expenses in your in-case-stuff-happens fund. Uh, I've heard nine months, and I've heard a year. What is What is a prudent and maybe realistic number for people to have saved. Yeah, I think I think the six month number is typically what we've we've talked about, and it again it depends on your lifestyle, and depends also how you want to live in that environment where you may have, and may be facing a challenging circumstance. So six months gives you a bit of cushion, setting aside the pandemic, which is which is a very unique scenario. Typically, if there's income disruption over six months, folks can usually get back on track and it buys them some time to continue to maintain their living uh, expenses and their standards of living and the needs for their families without having an undue interruption while they're trying to get back on track. Now, income disruption is the single biggest sort of impact you can have and, and, and draw on that emergency fund. And then anything anything other than that, the other examples that I provided are typically going to be much smaller, uh, have much smaller requirements. And the key is, if you start to dip into your emergency fund, you also want to rebuild it once you're back on track versus sort of letting it settle at the new low watermark, if you will. So you have mentioned a couple of numbers. We talked about six months worth of living expenses. We talked about maybe having a goal of $5,000 in a savings account. What if listeners hear those figures and think, no, nope. No, I cannot squeeze any money into a savings account out of my budget. I just, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. What do you do then? Yeah, it's a great question. And look, it comes down to finding out what you can afford at any given point in time. And this, like so many other things, will change as your circumstances change. You may only be able to save a small amount right now, and you can increase that amount as more money becomes available to you. It's not, in my view, a straight line but instead it's something that you adjust as your personal circumstances evolve. So if you find yourself in a situation where you need to rely on your savings and there may be a short break or even a significant reduction in what you can save for a period of time, and then you get back to your previous levels gradually or when the time is right. So it's really less about how much you save and it's about how ensuring that that savings is aligned to your personal circumstances and your personal needs. No amount is too small. Back to our original conversation about, you know, children and how, you know, they can even save 50 cents. 50 cents. And I know that exactly. <laughs> Every little bit adds up, but it's all proportionate to your lifestyle and your needs. So it's a good idea to always be saving something and that becomes your saving habit. And you also want to ensure that while you're saving, you're covering your daily costs, of course. And that's where a financial advisor can help you find the right balance. What are some common mistakes that people make when it comes to savings? It's a great question. Um, I think it's the common mistakes are really around misconceptions that lead individuals to make 
perhaps poor choices. And this includes this belief that you need to be debt-free before you start savings. There's this a misconception that you can rely on your credit card for emergencies and therefore don't need to save. There's also these misconceptions around the fact that I don't need to save today. That's something that I can push off and I can start that in a year or I can start it in five years when I've progressed in my life or I'm more senior in my job. Um, there's a there's also uh, this this notion that individuals sometimes prioritize their immediate life experiences over savings and consumption becomes a greater priority than savings. What I'm really trying to get at here is these are all misconceptions that easily can be addressed through the basic concept of starting. One of the key challenges we hear is individuals saying savings are it's just simply too difficult, so why should I bother? Or not knowing how to start and how much to start with. So this is where one of the key areas there that I want to touch on is this notion that many of us are afraid to ask for help with our finances or even to get a financial plan in place to help see how what we're doing today can impact what we want tomorrow. So it really doesn't cost you anything to sit down for a 20-minute conversation with a financial advisor to help you get started on managing your costs, your debts, and of course, savings. So it's really about getting the advice you need to, to ensure that you are set up for the future and to find that path that's individualized to you where you can live for today comfortably and save for tomorrow. It's not a choice that you have to make. I love the idea, that last point that you made about living for today while also making sure you have funds to live for tomorrow. I think that is a delicate balance that we have to navigate at all ages. Um, but some points you made about when you're younger or when you're early in your career, you think, well, I'm going to do this later on when I have more money because I have a lot of debt right now or I have student debt. And so when you said there is a way to save and pay down debt, how do you approach that? Absolutely. I think the way to do that is to understand, you know, how much of your expenses are, are really required for you to live your life comfortably and then how much do you need to siphon off for debt payments. The saving while you're paying down debt really comes down to adjusting your consumption and trying to make some short-term sacrifices by siphoning off some funds. You can make choices to have a less fancy coffee. That's going to save you a little bit of money, but you can make some other larger choices for the near term that allow you to save for the future. So, you know, the type of vehicle you purchase, the type of trips you go, you may be able to still go on a trip, but maybe make a little bit of an adjustment to allow you to take that difference and put it aside. And then over time, you can come back to that once it builds up to a certain level and take the type of trip that you maybe always wanted. So it's really about making incremental choices in your in your life as you live your life um, that then allows you to prepare for the future. It's not about no trips. It's not about no coffees. It's not about no to anything. It's about just making a slightly different selection that allows you to take that delta, that difference, if you will, and put it away. Is there a difference in how you, you would approach it depending on the type of debt you have? Absolutely. I mean, I think you'd want to pay down your highest interest debts, just credit card debt first. You know, you may want to prioritize paying that down. But in this low interest rate environment, the interest costs are, are sufficiently low that you can actually do both. You can pay down debt and make a meaningful impact on your outstanding debt while saving as well. But really, you know, you want to prioritize that high interest debt first. Is there a special place where you should be saving? If we, if we have decided, okay, I have figured out how much extra money I have to be able to put aside for the future, um, where should it go? 
It's a great question, and it depends. It depends on what your plans are for that. If it's an emergency fund, then you want to maintain access to those funds very quickly, so you can save in a high-interest savings account, you can save in any tra traditional savings account that the banks offer. If you're saving for retirement, for example, then you have the ability to obviously invest that fund, those funds over a longer time horizon, have it grow at a significantly different rate, and you don't need access to those funds, so you can, you can invest invest in a mutual fund, you can invest in a whole myriad of investments that are more longer term in their duration and allows you to have a greater rate of return as well. It all really depends on the purpose for those funds. How does the pandemic change the way we should approach our savings? And that, that's a really interesting question. What we've seen with the pandemic is that a lot of the expenses that we typically had in the past are no longer there. We're saving money on potentially eating out uh, at restaurants. We're, we're, we're saving money on trips. Well, the pandemic for a number of folks has created an opportunity to take those funds and move them into their savings to accelerate their savings. Now, that being said, there are a number of folks struggling through the pandemic where they're actually eating into their savings and they're consuming their savings. So that's another opportunity where hopefully the pandemic brings to life the criticality of savings and back to your question earlier around how long, how much money do you need to save, for what duration. The pandemic is a bit of a unique scenario, but I think for many folks out there in different sectors of society, they're actually consuming their savings and they're living off of their savings. Their savings are allowing them to weather some of the impact of the pandemic. So I think they would be even have even more conviction on the importance of savings because it allows them to maintain some stability through this challenging time. What are the freedoms one can enjoy once your savings are in place? I think the, some of the freedoms are around this, this notion of not feeling anxiety, not feeling like you're vulnerable to things that you cannot control. The reality is life happens. It happens to all of us, no matter how prepared we may be. Um, we can't control it. The way we can ensure that we are uh, ready and we can minimize the impact is by saving. Um, knowing that you have those funds set aside allows, I believe, folks to sleep at night. It may not solve all of our challenges, but at least we know we're not going to be in, in dire straits should you know something happen that's unforeseen. So it's this notion of eliminating that vulnerability or reducing that vulnerability is one of the freedoms. And the other freedom is this notion that you can actually spend, you can consume, knowing that you're doing both. That, to me, allows folks to feel less guilty because you're not actually sacrificing your future for today. You're doing both. So feel good about enjoying life today, about enjoying those things that bring you comfort, knowing that you're taking care of your future as well. When I talk to people, I find that there is this anxiety and fear when it comes to money, and that itself becomes a barrier to saving. Do you have any advice for people when it comes to handling that fear? Absolutely. I would say, first of all, that fear is 100% normal and natural. Um, I, I have it. I've had it. I have it today. I think we all have this anxiety. What allows us to alleviate that anxiety is getting the right advice from a professional. We are all not experts on on financial matters. We don't have all the strategies at our fingertips. We don't have all the sort of information and all the insights that we need in order to make the choices, best choices for ourselves. So I find that 
getting that financial advice is absolutely critical to lowering that anxiety and allowing folks to overcome that fear and, and start to say that this is not rocket science. I'm not an expert at it, but I've got the advice I need. It makes a ton of sense. And now I have a plan. And now I'm going to execute that plan. And I'm going to live through that plan. And I'm going to feel really good that I'm, I'm in good stead for the future. So it's really bottom line, get that advice to alleviate that anxiety as soon as you can. Finally, I wanted to ask whether or not, you know those lessons that you learned from your parents, Hiranjan? Mm-hmm. Are you passing those down to your daughters? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will. We talk a lot about it. And I'll, I'll tell you two things. Um, number one, we absolutely, my wife and I want to pass this on to our children. However, they're living in a very different environment than the environment we grew up in. So one of our biggest struggles is to help them feel what we felt growing up. And it's hard because it's a totally different environment. So what we find is speaking to their grandparents is one of the most important elements of creating that linkage. We want them to hear those stories and hear those challenges and be able to understand what it means to how they live their lives. Because those challenges for some of us look very different today than they did, you know, 30, 50 years ago for our parents. So the linkage to the grandparents is really important. And, and then the linkages to what's happening in their communities is also important so that they understand that, you know, while they may benefit from certain things, others don't. And being able to make sure that our children are understanding the benefits of living today while at the same time saving for tomorrow as a prudent life choice is something that I think stories and examples from their own family and from others help solidify and galvanize their belief that that is a prudent choice and that is a prudent strategy for them. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that wisdom, Naranjan. I'm so grateful. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So there you have it, the whys and hows of saving. Now, here are my three takeaways that you can put in your back pocket to help you on your journey. Number one, money can be scary, but action breeds confidence and courage. Get started, however small your first steps may be, and don't be afraid to seek help. Two, automate it. This will make things so much easier and begin a savings habit that can only grow from here. And finally, don't forget, replenish it after you dip into it. Big thanks to our guest, Naranjan Vivekanandan of RBC. And thank you for listening. I'm always trying to spread the word when it comes to personal finance so you can empower yourselves and live the life you want. If you enjoy Money Moves, go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us get the word out to people who could use the show. If you think it's important to understand your money, the money you made, share this podcast with a friend. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Money Moves is produced by the Globe and Mail's content studio in partnership with RBC. Our producer is Hannah Sung, with audio mix by Pippa Johnstone. Executive producer is Kieran Rana. And remember, folks, the opinions expressed by people on the show belong to the individuals and are not the opinions or advice of RBC. And the information in this podcast is intended as general information only and should not be relied upon as providing legal, tax, financial, or other professional advice. I'm Melissa Leong. Thank you for listening to Money Moves. 